Hello, my fans, friends. Welcome to the Rich Terring podcast feed, powered by ACAS Plus. Thanks to everyone who's come to see the Can I Have My Ball Back tour so far. It's been going really well. I've got a four-star review in The Standard, four-star review in The Telegraph, who once called me the worst comedy experience of the year, so that's a turnaround. Uh, people have been coming, people have really been enjoying it, and it's getting better and better. The only gigs this week are both in Pocklington, the town I was born in, near York. Uh, there's a couple of tickets left for the evening show and a few more tickets left for the matinee, I think about 4.30. But love to see you there, Yorkshire. Pop along, check richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs to see if I'm coming near to you. There are tickets left for nearly every show in the tour. I think Norwich has sold out. Uh, and a couple of gigs in London could do with your support as well. Anyway, please listen to the podcast. Do spread the news about the podcast to your friends. Listen as much as you can. Numbers are slightly down, which may affect the future of this podcast. So just leave it playing, even if you're not in the room. Love you. <laughs> now sit back, relax, and enjoy whatever it is you're going to listen to. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Y Theatre. Please welcome a man who's just been on the phone to Alfie Bow. It's Richard Herring! Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, you're so much better than last week's audience. Thank you very much. They were awful. They were so awful. Uh, thanks for coming along. Welcome to Richard Herring's Leicester Stinking Thieves podcast. I was uh, talking to Simon de Montfort the other day. You, remember? He's, uh, you know I'm talking about. He was the Lord of Leicester in 1231. Um, he uh, gave the city a grant to expel all the Jewish population. Um, Kind of, kind of guys, and now loads of places in Leicester and are named after him. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah, York hasn't got any history like that. So don't, 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 don't look that up, though. But um, <laughs> he calls it Leicester anyway. So there we go. Simon de Montfort. Simon de Montfort. Uh, look, you've been a, you've been a lovely crowd already for the last two minutes, uh, and uh, we're not going to mess around uh, too much. We are at the Leicester Comedy Festival. I would just like to tell you that uh, if you're looking for something to do this evening, uh, Luke McQueen is doing a work in progress show at 6.30 at the Firebug, which I heartily recommend. Uh, I will all, I'll be in the bar after the show, uh, shortly after the show, if you want to come and say hello. I've got some, uh, some of my books. I've written many books. I've got some of my books with me. If you would like to buy one of those, you are more than welcome. But uh, I'm not going to hang around for long. Uh, worried about my car in the car park, to be honest. So, um, <laughs> and someone finding a dead king underneath it. So let's crack on. <laughs> let's crack on. Um, it must be annoying being in all the other car parks in Leicester, isn't it? Looking at that car. Oh. <sighs> Why did they get the king? Um, my guest this week is probably best known for the show Hello America on Quibi. He has... Uh, was such a good show that they had to shut down the entire channel to to give the other topical shows a chance. Will you please welcome the incredible Nish Kumar, ladies and gentlemen, from Hello America. Nish Kumar. Oh. Yeah. Nish Kumar. Hello. Oh, how are you doing? Lovely to see you. I'm back, baby. <laughs> Time number four. Number fourth, fourth occasion. The ghost protocol of my Richard Herring appearances. 
if we follow the Mission Impossible naming structure. Oh, wow. Well, hopefully there'll be many more. Uh, Adam Buxton, I think, is top of the charts. How, 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 how are you? I think, I think Buxton's done eight, including interviewing me for, about my book. Uh, John Robbins, I think, has done seven. Wow. I think that's right. So me you've got a little way to go. Me and Kearns have got a way to go. Yeah. We're, we're, we're barely troubling Buxton with our combined <laughs> scores. <laughs> this is absurd. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you are always welcome. You're always welcome. And you were, oh, we were saying backstage, the last time you were on, it was in January 2021, when I had, had a diagnosis of having a lump in my testicle and I didn't tell you about it. because You, didn't, that would, te- you didn't tell would, me about it. <laughs> and I was definitely, when, when, when you did talk about it publicly, I was definitely like, wow. So I guess when I asked him how he was, <laughs> <laughs> he left out one pretty crucial piece of information. You see him, I went, I'm great. Just look in his eye, the fear. <laughs> I actually did tell Lou Sanders was the other guest on that one because for some reason we had two guests that week. Uh, and, uh, and I told no, her... Lou Sanders is my personal security detail. That's why she was there. So I, I told her, but as I was telling her, like a lady from the venue was sort of approaching us and went, oh, I'm sorry, because she obviously heard that he said at the same time. So Lou Sanders and a woman who works in the Clapham Grand were probably numbers three and four who knew about this. After your doctor and your wife. So there we go. But anyway, well, I'm happy to see you and I'm thrilled to see you well. I'm, I'm very well. And how are you? Because, you know, you were... I don't know what, how much we talked about it at the time, but you... All of all of the stuff that was we did talk about last time, which are the bread rolls and all that we stuff. We talked a lot about that, yeah, yeah. But, but it, you, it, uh, it took a bit of a toll on you personally, right? You were going through a bit of a tough tough time mentally. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've gone in tonally <laughs> yeah. quite differently from oh, the previous interviews. Oh, yeah, I think Here's what I think. I, th- I was just interviewed uh, about my career by Jeff Rowe, who's the uh, soon-to-be outgoing uh, head of the Leicester Comedy Festival. He's a really nice man, and I had a very serious conversation with him. And uh, afterwards, someone said, well, you're going to do Herrings. Is that going to be weird to do two interviews? And I was like, that's going to be tonally very different. <laughs> because at no point did Jeff ask me if I'd like to have a penis shaped like a cactus <laughs> or an asshole shaped like a Nazi swastika. Or, like, you know... It's good. Those, those are two good ones. They're going, they're going, they're going in the book. <laughs> but, and I think because I've brought that up, you yeah. now feel that you have to take this seriously as an interview. <laughs> it very the twist. previous times I've been on, the first time he just complained and sold any tickets. The, <laughs> the second time he was furious because I wasn't Michael Sheen. <laughs> and the third time he, with some justification, had his mind on other things. <laughs> So, uh, yes, Richard, I was having... Uh, no, I think... So, I like, I think by the time we did that interview, I had started seeing a therapist. Because right. I... At the end of December 2019, I had this, like, weird bread roll... I mean, I don't know why I'm... T- I'm, I'm saying this for the podcast recording. <laughs> There's no way these fucking geeks haven't all prepped for this interview <laughs> by listening to all my previous appearances. It's weird to do a show where the audience is more prepared than the host. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I had this thing where somebody threw a bread roll at me and it, was made, the new, it made the news and I, like, I, I, I... The bread roll thing itself was, like, was very... was funny. Like, and I just did a whole show... I just taught a whole show about this for last year and, like, the thing that I always want to make clear is, like, the, bre- the incident was funny. And, like, afterwards, I went to the pub with John Robbins and Tim Key and Chris Addison and a bunch of comedians who'd been at the event. And we all found it quite funny. Yeah. And then when the Telegraph picked it up, the vibe shifted. Yeah. Because then suddenly it's like, when something happens in a room at a comedy gig, if, if, whether it's good or bad, it exists in that moment. Like, and... Whatever happens, there's like an honesty. There's an honesty to an audience's reaction, whether it's positive or negative, and you sort of take that slightly as being part of an occupational hazard. Yeah. Like I, I don't think you know the man should not have thrown a bread roll at me. <laughs> I don't think that is. You shouldn't like throw things at people or like put your hands on them in any way. But if you're in an audience, you are entitled to boo, and that's part of the deal of being a comedian. But the problem was then when it became a news story. I started to get, like, death threats. And at the time, you sort of move through it and you think, well, everything's fine. And then sort of a couple of months later, 
you sort of I was sort of unable to like regulate my emotions. Like there would just be points where people would say something to me and then suddenly you couldn't stop. Like it was like I was like drowning and like trying to catch my breath mm. and like eventually my girlfriend and Brett Goldstein were like you have to see a therapist. Like Amy actually Amy's my partner's name. Uh, I don't know why I was trying to cover it. <laughs> this is all Googleable information. When, we, when I started doing the MASH report, which is a topical show on the BBC, and I started, the, the coverage was really weird. It wasn't, this, we, this is a good comedy show or this is a bad comedy show. It was like, this should not exist and this man should not be allowed on the BBC saying those things. Mm. Amy at the time was like, I mean, the tone of it, that's what they said. It was pretty clear what they meant. I think so. It was pretty clear. Someone <laughs> shut this loud packy up. Like, that was definitely in the subtext of some of the pieces. Yes. But at the time, Amy was like, oh, I think you should see, like, a therapist, because this is not really a normal thing that you're going to go through, I think, if it continues like this. Yeah. Um, and I was like, ah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> shut up. Uh, come on. Because it sort of feels... It felt indulgent to... Be like, oh, the TV show I host is making it difficult. <laughs> and it, it, it did feel indulgent. But she was, of course, like, absolutely right. And yeah. I could have saved myself a lot of trouble if I had been, like, being, be, you know, been in some sort of mental health care process uh, from the start of this, the, the thing. But then, basically, I started seeing a therapist. And, like, within two hours, she was like, you got PTSD, my friend. Like, yeah. this is post-traumatic stress disorder. And this is like a very like mild but very textbook case of PTSD. Right. And so I did a lot of like I did a lot of sort of therapy, and I still continue to do do it, and it really helped me. So I think by the time we spoke about it, I because there's I did stand up a little bit about it in the like one month where there was stand up. Yes. Like January 2020, <laughs> like. I don't know what happened after that, but for some reason, my uh, voice memos app really dries up. <laughs> um, but I did some stand-up about it, and I listened back to the stand-up when I started putting the material together for the tour. And there's a point where I can't talk about the death threats. I start talking about it on stage, and you hear me go, and then I got some death... Anyway, and you, you, like, I can't engage on it. Yeah. And I, but I think by the time we had a conversation about it, I'd started the process of being in therapy. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was weird, because... You, 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 you lose the ability to, like, so, it, so someone would say something pretty innocuous, and then I suddenly start feeling teary. It's really, really, it's quite strange. I will say this, Iron Man 3 is quite a good depiction <laughs> of, 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 of PTSD. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a weird... It was a weird thing. And so, it was there any... Because there's a part of me, you know, I think there's... I think looking back at my whole career as a comedian because being a comedian is pretty stressful like there's lots of times when you're down you know up and down i think like with the edinburgh fringe i look back and i think a lot of the time at the edinburgh fringe i was properly like full-on not just unhappy i was depressed for a week in the middle like properly that's because you'd given yourself a fucking hitler mustache (laughs) (laughs) but that was that was sort of tough but i've i've always i've always sort of resisted the idea well i i I feel like i talk about it it, through the shows like i process stuff through the through the shows, but I've always, also, I kind of always felt like, do I, do I want to go to a therapist who might, you know, sort, sort me out, but then might also make me not funny? Was there any, was there any element of that that you worried about? Honestly, probably there was a part of that in my head. Yeah. But that's, that's evidence enough that I needed to see it, because that is evidence of very disordered thinking. I might, and actually one of the things that I realised was that it's easier for me to write comedy about something that I've processed with a professional. Yes. Like, it's easier to be funny about something that you have. There's this thing in movies where they show stand-ups, and they're like, and then one night, the stand-up comedian just got on stage and told the truth, (laughs) and it changed lives. And you're like... That would never happen. <laughs> and if you did that, you would fucking bomb. Like, you would die so badly. Like, there's a really good... There's a Richard Pryor... Obviously, the DVDs available of Richard Pryor are largely, like... You know, because he, he was this sort of, like, cod Bill Cosby-style comedian uh, who was, like, telling these kind of, like, 
funny stories about his life, but not really actually engaging with his autobiography. Then he's on stage at a gig, and he has this kind of moment where he's like, I can't do this anymore. So then he goes to Berkeley and becomes immersed in, like, radical black politics. And the Richard Price stand-up that we all know, because that's what's on the DVD, is the stuff after that kind of Damascene moment. There's an album called Richard Price, which is catching him in the process of becoming that comedian. But a more interesting document is Live and Smoking, which is just, like, one camera filming him as he's in the midpoint of his transition and it's so weird because he is having a bad gig and the audience is really uncomfortable and he's talking about watching his mum like his mother was a sex worker and he was talking about watching his mum with John's coming in and like the audience you can feel the entire audience will be like Jesus fucking Christ like they're so on edge and you're like that's what would happen in a movie if a comedian was like I'm going to tell the truth the audience would be like fucking hell we are so goddamn uncomfortable <laughs> so it's you have to, I, I, I found it easier to do comedy when I'd put some distance on it and I had some perspective on what had happened yeah and then it was like, easier for me to write jokes cool yeah it's in, well you know but I think it's interesting to the extent I mean, it's all Alan Davis talking about this, but, you know, like, comedians these days, like, are being diagnosed and, uh, yeah. you know, and are talking about this stuff, whereas clearly most of the comedians that pre, you know, from the 90s and, and way before, and certainly the 80s, were, <laughs> going, were going through some massive <laughs> mental problems yeah. and just, and just n- never processing it. No, never. but they were real men. Yeah. And they did what <laughs> real men do, take cocaine and be mean to their wives. <laughs> Do you, you were, we were talking about stage. Yeah. Uh, and you were saying that you were thinking about putting, possibly putting some material together about, you know, the, about cancer. Yeah, yeah. And you've written a book about, how, how did you find that easy? Was that difficult to do? It was actually, it was weird last year. So, I, so obviously, it was 2021 when I, when I went through it all. And 2022, just the beginning and the end of 2021, 22, when I wrote the book. And it was very quick. Because yeah. I, you know, I had I'd written a blog, but I hadn't really written about the cancer in the blog for most of it. Uh, but it gave me like all all the things I've been doing. So you know, because it was a mostly just autobiography, I kind of got down, and it was really helpful. But I think then I got my mild PTSD yeah. as a result of going going through it. Yeah. Because then I became very paranoid about it coming back, yeah. which I hadn't really been, and I, and I and I was I did struggle a bit after writing the book, but going through going through it all again was helpful, but equally it, it, it sort of made me like quite, yeah, PTSD, I think in a very, very, very mild... I, yeah, I talked to my therapist about this idea that like if you do comedy or you make any sort of culture about something, it's like an act of therapy. And she was like, it's the complete opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. Because she was saying like, if you're talking about something that you haven't processed your emotions around, you're just forcing yourself to relive yeah. the traumatic event and you're not really putting any distance behind it. But you... but. You had a book to write. Yeah. You thought, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. But do you, and did you feel, do you now feel like you have enough perspective to do? Because with the book, you can, you know, you can vary the tone, right? Yeah. You can, it, there can be bits that are really serious. And there are a bit, but if you're doing a kind of stage show, do you feel like you're ready to do like a banging hour of herring stand-up? Yeah, I mean, I think there'll be serious bits in it, but I think yeah. so, yeah. I think there was, I've done a couple of bits and it, and it sort of works. And, you know, I think the, the interesting thing is I didn't process it as it was happening, right? The way I got through it was... I'm just going to joke my way through this and I'm not yeah, really going yeah. to think about it too much. And there were moments where it was where I thought I was going to die and stuff. So yeah. that, that, that wasn't, I wasn't laughing in those bits. But, but I also thought that I've got, to be, I've got to be flippant about it and I've got to not take it too seriously because yeah. that's the way I've lived my life and have fun with it. So I think writing the book made me process it properly or process it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it's, it, it'll be interesting to go back. But I think there's so much, it was, you know, it's... It, as a comedian, these things are sort of a gift, even if they're horrible at the time. Even if you go through something where you yourself done something bad, yeah. Once you get a chance to look back at it from a distance, yeah, you know you can find the funny stuff in it. And there's, yeah, I know, mean, there is a limit. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I'm not sure anybody's going to be at the Cosby comeback gig. <laughs> well, but he's still. A lot of those guys come back and still do stuff, don't they? But yeah, yeah. I, I know what you were saying. But yeah, but uh, but yeah, there's so much. It was when I look at it, everything was sort of so comical and you know so many. Because it's a seri- it's that juxtaposition of serious with st- stupid, but there were yeah. so many weird things that happened and odd mistakes. And uh, do you think you also felt because you have a wife and children yeah. that there was p- slightly you felt like for their sake you had to you, you had to keep behaving in the way that you 
yeah, normally little... behaves. So you didn't, so you weren't scaring your children. Basically. A little bit, yeah, yeah, because they weren't. They still picked it up, so they were still, you know, my, my, my you could tell my daughter was who is a very sarcastic, sarcastic and flippant eight year old, yeah. but you could tell. She, it got to her. Like, I think someone asked her, if, she asked somebody if I was going to die. And yeah, she didn't, right. Not one of us, but someone else. Yeah, so right. So she got, she got the message and she left. And very unusually, when I got back from hospital, she'd wrapped up a packet of uh, something in a hula hoops, which are her favourite crisps. And that was on my, that was on oh my, my bed. God. So that was like her oh going, I God. do love you, Daddy. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, never yeah. going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but it, but I think also it made because it, it made me. I, I was I, I saw it as a very positive experience because I you know a I realised quite quickly that I wasn't going to die, right. uh, and also it made you think about all those things and it made me realise the what the right priorities were. Yeah, I mean it's it's a very different story than what you what you've encountered and what you will continue to encounter because what you're encountering is sort of. <laughs> it's something that's not we would hope would go away, but it's not going to go away. I don't think in your lifetime. Yeah, it's just a weird. I, I, I mean, let me preface this by saying I do not think what I've been through is worse than having cancer at all. But it's just a, it's just a strange social phenomenon where, like, as these kind of, um, like, conservative nationalist movements sort of, like, decay, they, they're just going to be getting angrier and angrier. They're going to be encouraging... All, this, all they have is their anger, right? The yeah. people who supported all of these movements because nothing's working, you know? And so they will continue going after sort of uh, comedians and, like, transgender people. They will continue to try and keep those people angry because they can't point... They can't look at their supporters and say, this is what we have achieved. That's what you should... After 13 years in power, the Conservative Party should be able to say, this is what we have achieved. But unfortunately, all they could do is go, this is what we've... Oh, well, (laughs) that didn't go well. Those people got deported... He's definitely a bully. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's like all they... So really all they can do to keep people voting for them is firing up their anger and going, oh, if you don't, you know, you have to vote for us, not because we've done X, Y, and Z. Like, that was the Trump campaign. He he couldn't say, you should vote for us because this and this and this. He had to say, you have to vote for us because otherwise the sort of radical socialist Karl Marx... And everyone's looking at Joe Biden going, I mean, he just seems like an old man who likes trains. Like, I'm not sure... I'm not sure this is, like... I'm not sure this is the, like, TikTok generation's Lenin. But, like... He just basically kept on... Like, but that, that is... So the, the, uh, the sort of anger... And so that's why you'll get a lot of them, you know... Like, Rishi Sunak this week was talking a lot about fucking Roald Dahl books. Yeah. Meanwhile, Narendra Modi's government in India had, like, done a tax raid on the BBC after the BBC did a documentary about Modi. The BBC's India office was subject to a random tax raid. And Sunak said, fuck all about it. Yeah. But because, again, that doesn't... It, it doesn't really suit his particular agenda or outlook i guess but in, 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 and also this week the brexit like they're still like i've been talking about brexit with you on this podcast <laughs> over a period of nearly seven years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they still haven't fucking finished it um so i, I just i think we're probably going to see i think we're probably going to see more of it in the short term yeah yeah, I mean, do you think people are seeing through it a bit? I mean, is it just... Are people so entrenched in, in one side and the other? I mean, it's this... It's sort of so... Ch- all of these things are sort of so childish. It's all... Right through Brexit, it's all been, like, coming up with a, a rude name for the other side rather yeah. than any policies. Yeah. And, you know, it's all about how someone looks or what someone, you know, thinks. Yeah. And, then, you know, that Roald Dahl thing is really interesting because I've been talking about people that all... Because I don't... I sort of think both things are... Both sides of the argument are ridiculous. A, yeah. it's a, a, it's a publicity stunt to sell more books, which yeah. has succeeded. Uh, so everyone will buy the original copies. Uh, and I don't like things being censored, but also sometimes things have to change. Also, he, I mean, the interesting thing about Roald Dahl is he did rewrite... The yeah. original description of the Oompa Loompas <laughs> is racially suboptimal. <laughs> I think that's the best way I can put it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to quote... Uh, the words, but it's eminently Googleable information. Uh, you can you can Bing that and find the information. That's how. That's how that's how available it is. Even Bing can find it. Bing is like it's like ask Jeeves if Jeeves had no trousers and pants on, 
and sort of smelt vaguely of urine. <laughs> That's what I, whenever I imagine Mr. Bing, he's always like, just a seedy-looking dude. Oh, yeah, I'll find your pictures. And I'll throw in a nip slip as well. <laughs> this audience lapping up the search engine material. Um, well, you know, it's not... It's, not, it's actually an argument... And people will keep talking about it, and I'll yeah. keep talking about it, and actually it's an argument about absolutely nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. Because it was, it was set up to be just to publicise the books... It doesn't really matter. I mean, it's, it's equally ridiculous that they would change the BFG's cloak from being a black cloak to whatever yeah. else it's going to become. But it's also, to get upset about it is meaningless as well because it's, it, if it yeah. doesn't mean anything, it doesn't mean yeah, anything. I know. So it doesn't it, change it, the book. The whole thing is nonsense, but I think yeah. it's a way more interesting thing that Sunak came out to talk about that yeah, instead of necessarily of the BBC in India. Or instead of, because he doesn't, he's like, let's talk about Roald Dahl, so that no one goes, <laughs> when is the protocol going to be finished? <laughs> like, it, it, it's, it, there's sort of, um, you know, why can't we afford anything? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you know what we should really talk about? Roald Dahl! <laughs> yeah, I would love to. Uh, I just can't afford salad at the moment. <laughs> It's not really on my... You should buy and eat copies of the Twits. <laughs> but I don't think it's... You know, it's not working anymore. I, don't, I can't see the Tories coming back from this, you know, even if they take, put Boris Johnson back in charge. Uh, Richard, uh, I don't mean this in a negative way, <laughs> but I have literally no faith in the British public. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I... Like, the Tory party is sort of like Game of Thrones. Like, it just kept going and going and going. And then you thought it had ended, and they were like, no, it's back. (laughs) It's sort of... um, I don't... Yeah, I I, I think... uh, Logically, you are completely correct. Logically, you're completely correct. And in all the, like, history of polling, there is no one that's been polling this badly a year and a half out from a general election and then still won it. But at the same time, I just... (laughs) <laughs> I just sort of have this fear about the, that they, 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 they're going to find a way to come back. I mean, I, like, I, I'm not sure if it would be with Rishi Sunak, which is like, is, I have such weird feelings about Rishi Sunak because on the one hand, I can't stand him. <laughs> but on the other hand, when he lost to Liz Truss, you're like, he probably shouldn't have lost because he can count. <laughs> Um, but, you know, it's great representation for my community. Yes. As in, not, not Asian, Asian cunts. <laughs> like, I'm an Asian cunt, and I never thought I would see another Asian cunt. I assumed that if an Asian man became Prime Minister, he'd be nice. No. <laughs> Fucking cunt. And I know that we're in Leicester, a city with a large Asian community, and statistically a lot of you must be cunts. And I want you to know, if you're a young Asian cunt, you too can be Prime Minister. (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, look, all these things are important issues. I think most of them have been solved. 
Uh, but the thing that the <laughs> thing that's the thing that still and racism's basically over. I think the the thing that hasn't been solved uh, and that I think that I, we want to talk about here in Leicester is uh, where do you think the bones of Richard of York <laughs> should be? Richard of York. Richard of York, where should they be buried? Uh, I think they should be uh, sent to Mumbai. (laughs) How about that? If we take some of your shit for a goddamn change. I'm going to steal the bones of Richard of York, take it to Delhi and hold it hostage until you release release the Kohenor diamond. (laughs) Your move, Britain. Fair enough. <laughs> it's like I want death threats. <laughs> now you're all sorted out. Go, come, let's make it a bit worse. <laughs> Try and make it worse. Um, yeah, I've written down. I've, I've written down here. Uh, uh, I'll just read this to you because I don't think we'll talk about. It. We might talk about it. But your your show is called Your Power, Your Control, and I said the scariest things are beyond our control. And I've written flotsam and jetsam. I imagine ourselves as. You know, with, with life, we yeah. kind of feel like we're in control. Like all those films like, oh, if you'd made this choice, this would have happened. If yeah, you'd yeah. made this choice, this would have happened. Most of the things that happen in our lives are, com- are completely based on somebody else's choice. Yeah. And we're just all floating around. Yeah, we're uh, just like a bunch of like, monkeys hanging onto a rock that's flying <laughs> through space. Yeah. Like, occasionally you sort of... The, the, the reason it was called that was because there was a thing that my therapist said where you have to focus more on what's within your power and what's within your control. Yeah. Like, rather than constantly thinking about hypothetical problems that might come at you. Um, but it's sort of... Um, yeah, we, we, we have no control. No. It, as far as your emergency questions go, it's not the funniest. <laughs> but I, did, uh, I, do, you are, I do agree with you. Like, we, we, we sort of try to kid ourselves in terms of, like, thinking that we have the ability to affect the outcome. And we do to some extent. But there is also just this huge thing that's completely out of our control. And yeah. it's better in some ways just to be like, oh, maybe I should just hang out with my family and people that I love and not worry too much about it. Yeah, I mean, that, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, we've been sort of lucky in a lot of ways, haven't we, to live when we've lived. Yeah. Uh, you know, that when it, I'm just I'm reading Al Murray's books. I'm talking to him uh, for next week's show. And it uh, is next week. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, you think about that, you know, the, the conscription, you know, just the, the oh fact God. you would have, World War One, World War Two, you would just have been in a world war and... One in five of you would definitely have been killed and half of you would have been injured. Oh. It's just, like, incredible, the cushy life we've, we've had. Oh, man, like, so we far. don't have to think about polio. Like, my dad, when he was, my dad has a, a mark on his arm from when he had to get the smallpox vaccine. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so there's part of you that's like, man, we really are, uh, you know, a fortunate generation. But then on the other hand, you're like... We did. The people I feel most sorry for are cu- teenagers currently, because like I just try and imagine. One, there's one Richard, down there. We've I got must one. insist, as a man of your <laughs> PWE countenance, you must stop pointing at sixteen-year-olds. <laughs> he, he, he wanted me to. <laughs> this is not the way to get back on the BBC, Richard. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel sorry for teenagers just because, like, I just keep thinking about, you know, like, there's just, like, one day they were just out, like, fingering each other. And then someone was like, get inside! Get inside! Or grandma gets it! And you're like, that is so stressful. So, like, I sort of appreciate that we're lucky, like, as adults who have lived in the era that we lived in. But I do feel very sorry for, like, children currently. Mm. Just because, like... Just you know, like they had to, they got had to be locked indoors for a couple of years. Every time they turn on the news, it's like another bit of the world is randomly on fire uh, because uh, the planet is uh, on its way out. All the best. <laughs> True. All right. Let's 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 move away from the horrible world to your wonderful career instead. Um, <laughs> and I've noticed about the, you, the, your comedians of your generation are making yourselves busy. By and making it like there's more of you than there are by p- continually forming different double yep. acts with different people, yeah. And so it looks like it's a different thing, but it's the same people the, go the round and round. Meeting, we all arrive, all of the comedians <laughs> arrive at the commissioners' meeting, we put our keys in a bowl and we get to swap it. 
because I had uh, Josh on quite recently. I listened to it. Yes, it was very uh, good. And so, and I, so I've watched. In fact, I've watched another. I've watched three episodes of Hold the Front Page. Wow! I watched another one specially <laughs> for, for you today, <laughs> last night. Um, uh, and so there's a few things I want to talk about with that, which were some of which I talked to uh, Josh about. I mean, jo- Josh not being able to swim was a big part of my it interview with him. Was a surprise. Yeah, that he couldn't just because Josh likes. It, the, the funny thing about... Uh, the thing is, I can't drive. Yeah, so I was going to bring that up. And Josh can't swim. Yeah. And so between... And neither of us can fly a plane. So there's really, like, <laughs> no terrain. Yeah. In which, between us, we make one semi-useful man. <laughs> you, like, it, it, there's no terrain that we're comfortable in. Yeah, no, I... Yeah. I, I, uh, jo- I was surprised that Josh couldn't swim, but also, like... We just, for some reason, we just kept ending up in bodies of water. <laughs> and the, in the first episode, we did this, like, training thing. For, we were working for the Blackpool Gazette, and we did this training thing, which this was quite a fun and relevant thing, where they, like, we train entertainers who work on cruise ships because they have to be able to do some basic survival stuff. So we were like, okay, cool, and we'll write up a story about that. And so we had to jump off this thing into a swimming pool, and the thing that they kept saying is like, it's quite good life advice. They're just like, if you keep your eyes on the horizon, you'll be absolutely fine. Because then you go in uh, vertically. But obviously, it's easier to not look at water that you're falling into if you know that you can swim. <laughs> Whereas Widdicombe just immediately looked down. He entered completely horizontally. <laughs> and unfortunately, penis first. <laughs> We, we had these, like, suits on that really did, like, accentuated the penis and sort of pushed it to the front, which is the absolute opposite of what you want in that situation. And I just heard this smack sound and just, Oh, God, my dick! <laughs> oh, no! My cock and balls! I was trying to reassure him. I said, Josh, you've already had your children. You don't need them anymore. But he would not be... Uh, he was very upset. But yeah, he, he yeah, he, we sort of somehow we always ended up like being dunked in water, and Whitaker was like, "I can't do this." I mean, he was sort of, you know, he was because there's a few bits where he doesn't do, go into things. I mean, the potholing, the one I just watched, is quite interesting because that looks like you don't want to do it, and it's quite a risky thing to do. And he sort of half does it, and then doesn't want to go down yeah, the last we, bit. We were sort of we did this potholing thing, and it did we it did actually get us a sort of. It was a useful, it was a good yeah. news story. So it, was, yeah. it, it worked really well because we were working for the Saturday paper. So it's like a good lifestyle thing. And it yeah. was, it's, you know, in Yorkshire, and we were working for the Yorkshire Post. And we were taken in by these two really, really lovely people who, like, were like constantly reassuring us that everything was going to be fine. And we went through all this potholing stuff. And, you know, it was like you're sort of wedging in between various different crevices. And I, you know, I'm not at my sort of prime fighting weight. <laughs> At the moment. And so there were definitely occasions where I was like, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. Lube up the fat boy. Uh, and then, but then we got down into this sort of like flat area. And then the idea was that we were supposed to like abseil down. And it was terrifying. And like, I don't know how I managed to do it. I'm pretty sure I soiled myself. But I, <laughs> but I sort of managed to do it in the end. And... Josh looked down and was like, I'm not going to do it. And I kept saying to him, don't do... If you're really... Like, you really should not do stuff. If you're... You know, it's an entertainment show. And it's not really entertaining to watch someone go, I'm going to die! Oh, fuck! <laughs> Actually, that was quite entertaining. <laughs> but, yeah, it, 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 I was like, it won't be a great... You, you just don't do it. Because it's... Like, I'll do it. It'll be fine. And we got to the bottom, and I was like, man, that was amazing. And then a school group did exactly the same thing. <laughs> I should add, not a secondary school group. <laughs> like, we were on the absolute fucking no-pubes easy course. <laughs> it, yeah, it was, it was... They were literally like little... Do you, do you remember the um, uh, episode of The Simpsons where they have the war with Shelbyville over the lemon tree? Yes. And at the end, they're standing there on the line, and they're like, who will dare brave this and then there's just in the background you just see the girls running up and down between the two uh, it was sort of a bit like that it was like I was like in a way it's more embarrassing because Josh was like I can't do it whereas I did it and I was like I can't believe it I did it I feel incredible I feel this has made me believe that I can do anything if I'm 37 I can conquer my fear of the unknown I can do anything and they were like 10 year olds do this and you know what they don't make a big deal out of it <laughs> 
But it's a, uh, it's a fun show to make. It's a, well, it's a really fun show to watch because you end up doing lots of crazy stuff. And, it, you know, it is... You know, you're, you're competent and incompetent. It's a difficult... You know, it's like a difficult thing to do, right? So you genuinely had to try and get your pieces yeah, in, and in, the, in local papers, which, you, you know, people might think, oh, well, that's going to be relatively easy, isn't it? Local papers. But it sort of shows how much work goes into those... For sure. And also, like, this... I mean, the sort of pressure a lot of those organisations are under because yeah. their sort of funding models are being threatened by, like, social media. They all sort of now have to be, like, photographers and videographers and they have to be able to, like, use social media, which is a lot of different skills. So, like, the, it, it is a, it's a fun and goofy show available now on Sky On Demand <laughs> and on Now TV. I've done my plug. Um, <laughs> but it was, it's a fun and goofy show. But, like, the one hope you want to come away with is, like, oh, the local journalism... Local journalists are amazing. A lot of these papers are really great and do really important. And just, like, probably about a couple of weeks after we did that, Liz trusted a load of in- interviews yeah. with local... You remember this? She did a load of interviews with local BBC journalists that I think... And some uh, national... Uh, journalists who work for national publications or national broadcasters were saying, well, this is her trying to get out of hard questions. Yeah. And she got her ass handed to her <laughs> so often. It was because because a lot of these local journalists are very well briefed on their areas, but also they're briefed on what's going on nationally, and they understand how those two things relate to each other. And Liz Truss, I mean, like, I don't like. It's like someone read a Margaret Thatcher biography and then huffed a load of crystal meth. Like it. Re- <laughs> Like, it doesn't... Like, nothing about what happened there made any sense. But but lots of people like, can you believe this local journalist? I was like, I've met local journalists, and I can absolutely fucking believe (laughs) that they would be super, super prepped. But, yeah, it was... That was the kind of... the, The sort of message of the show. But, listen... I am happy to do... It's every couple of years, I just a different white comedian and I get into japes. I'm thrilled to do that. But, yeah, it was like, you, you know, they approached me... And they, Josh, I think they'd already come to Josh with this idea. Right. And they approached me because I think there's a sort of organic... You know, because Josh did train to be a journalist, he says. <laughs> when we got out there, I was like, oh, so you must know how to do certain technical things, like shorthand. And he went, no, oh, I don't know how to do shorthand. And I was like, how can you have not learned shorthand? He went, the lecture was at 9am on a Wednesday. <laughs> but... Um, and then the idea is that he's brought his friend who spent a lot of time writing comedy about the news. Yeah. And now, and he does that for the last leg. So it's like slightly us trying to put our money where our mouth is. And obviously, like, hilarity ensues. Yes. Well, it does. Do you think, I did talk to Josh about this, those people who do the role play as elves and stuff in the woods are just, once you had gone, they just all fucked each other in the woods. Do you think, that, do you think that's what it's actually about? I will say, yeah. the stench of sex hovered. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, I don't... It, I really liked them, and it really seemed like a really nice group of, like, thing for a group of friends to do. Yeah. And th- that was my whole takeaway. And then I listened to your interview with Josh, and immediately I was like, yeah, they probably were fucking. <laughs> they probably were fucking. I do. It reminded me, like, I'd, I'd forgotten about this, but when we first came to London... Uh, Stu, me and a few of our friends went to this meeting of people who believed that uh, that Jesus was an, an alien and he lived in the south of France and he's alive now. So they, I can't remember what they're called, but it was a... That, that's a wild one. <laughs> so, so there was this whole society, there's a whole thing. I want to say Aurelians or something like that. People might have heard of them. But we went to this meeting to sort of take the piss and it was all what seemed to us as 20-year-olds quite middle-aged, probably... Probably men who were 30 or 40, but they yeah, might probably be... just two yeah. guys who look like you and <laughs> but, me now. But they looked, they actually looked about 50 or 60. And then some sort of teenage, early Uh-oh. 20 girls. Uh oh. Uh, and uh, so we went to the meeting and we were sort of being sarcastic and taking the piss. And they let us stay there. And then they went, well, now, uh, thank you for the people who visited, but uh, now we, you have to go because we're going on to the, the business of just the people who are the. Yeah. And I was pretty sure that the business that came up next was the old men getting sucked off by the girls. That was, yeah. pre- that was pretty much... This I... feels like the first five <laughs> minutes of a Netflix documentary. <laughs> it really... I mean, they'll clean some of the language up. <laughs> we don't tend to start with. I was pretty sure some of the girls were sucking off the dudes. <laughs> I think that's what happened. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot... It's nice. They've got a hobby... 
do it before the sucking off. That's what I... So they dress up as an elf when they believe in aliens. So they can kind of... It's not just sucking off old... <laughs> it's sucking off old men so that Jesus will take me to heaven in a spaceship. That's what I think. So I went back every week, but they never sucked me off, so I didn't... <laughs> I had to suck. I had to suck. Them now, th- this is what we thought the show was going to be. <laughs> Not a sobering discussion about mental health and the emotional fallout of a cancer diagnosis. <laughs> we thought it would be people getting sucked off. There's a, the beauty of this show. It's light. It's light and shade. It's light, light and people getting sucked off by <laughs> <laughs> mentally unstable people. Um, oh, and I want to talk to you about uh, uh, Pointless. Now, you've been on Pointless a few times, but you are now the, uh, one of the temporary I'm one of co-hosts. The te- I'm one of the temporary, yeah. I'm have, one you of the done, temporary have you done co-hosts. recorded it, presumably? I've recorded all of it, yeah. Wow. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was so... Like, I, 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 by coincidence, I was in Leicester last week when you were interviewing John Kearns. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> fucking having to play along with this shit. What are you up... What are you applauding, you fucking geek? <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, and you were talking about t- Taskmaster and the idea of people... The cool thing about Pointless is the people who work on Pointless fucking love Pointless. Yeah. And I love Pointless. And Ed Gamble and I, when we lived together in, like, 2012 to 14, one of the things that we used to do was... We'd often be out doing gigs and stuff, and when we were both home over morning, we would bank pointless episodes <laughs> and just watch them all the way through. And like, I was able to use like some of the catchphrases <laughs> from when we used to watch it. Like, because one of our favourite things to do is when like something you think is going to score really high scores really low, or when something you think is to be like, "This game will keep you guessing." <laughs> <laughs> So I got to say, I got to say a lot of those. <laughs> I got to say a lot of. The, I mean, I imagine it'll all be edited out, but <laughs> but it was really fun, and like they're really into it, and everyone that works on the show is really into it, and uh, uh, Xander is a very nice man. Mm-hmm. So it was just like it was such a like pleasurable few days, and it, 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 everybody's so like behind the concepts of the show. And as of last night, I am a pointless champion. Right, yes. Because me and Ed Gamble won Pointless, and I, I actually I got in quite late, and I watched the end of it because I wanted to see the moment you realise we've won. <laughs> Genuinely, Ed looks happier than he did on his wedding day. <laughs> it genuinely... Like, I sort of jump in the air, which I don't really do. Like, I jump <laughs> with such force that my like, stomach is visible because I pull my jacket and shirt up. And, like, Ed is, like, absolutely beaming. It yeah. genuinely was one of the best things we've ever done. Yeah. No, well, I had the same experience with Les Dead when I... My, <laughs> it, took me, it took me four goes to win, and then we won with Les Dennis, and we got the jackpot as well. Yeah. And, um, and luckily, Les was I, I was... I couldn't think of the name Salman Rushdie. I, was, I, knew, I knew that Salman Rushdie had been nominated for the Booker Prize, and I couldn't think of his name. So what? Uh, it was like things that had happened in whatever because it, it was just before uh, lockdown. So things that had happened in 2020. So it was like films from 2020 that were in some list, yeah, and, right, or right, Booker right. Prize winners or yeah. something else. So I was trying to think of Booker Prize winners, and I knew Margaret Atwood, but yeah, I knew she, she wouldn't be pointless. I couldn't think of Bernadette, Bernadine Ever- Everisto, Ever- yeah, Bernadine Everisto. I couldn't think of her name, yeah, and I couldn't even think of. I, I could only. I was thinking the bloke who wrote that. Controversial book. That was all I could. My mind. That, my, that, that's where my mind was, and I and I completely. And he, he, that would have been pointless. But but Les luckily came up with something, and so we. Yeah, but so winning the jackpot. It feels incredible. It's just amazing. My God, it feels incredible. Yeah. Uh, on the subject of Rushdie, I know you were talking about the Hay Festival. Yeah. The first time the, Henry Whittaker, who runs McCunnleth Comedy Festival, sometimes does a gig at the Hay Festival. Okay. And one year I went with James Acaster, Ed Gamble, Bridget Christie, and Tony Law. And you, that's not people that should be <laughs> at the Hay. Like, that group of five people. I think it was 2012, and Bridget was doing that material where she had bits of hair stuck on the back of her hands. <laughs> it's just, that's not a group of people that should be at the Hay Festival. We walked into the green room. The first thing I saw was Alan Yentob hugging Salman Rushdie, and then someone asked us to leave. <laughs> Like, genuinely, they were like, you're not supposed to be here. And Henry had to run to the front. Henry, who himself also looks like... We just look like a sort of, like, like group of, like... 
It looked like you were in a band, but not one you'd ever want to hear the music of. <laughs> and Henry had to run up and be like, we're doing a, we're doing a show here. Because people were like, it, 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 without even checking, they were like, you're clearly not... You're, I'm not supposed to be breathing the same air as Yentob and Rushdie. Yeah, it's true. Well, I really felt like that evening. I knew this was the Winter Festival. It was a small deal. But yeah, I got involved... Natalie Haynes was there, who's now, an, you know, ex-stand-up comedian. She but Natalie Haynes of, is a professional, but, right? Yeah, like, but she's, a very, she's in that group of intellectuals. Yeah, they yeah, all know yeah. her. So they're all having this incredible intellectual chat about the derivation of words and stuff. And I was sitting there going, oh, fuck. And you're like, hey, Natalie, remember when we did the banana cabaret? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I had to leave. But I just felt so out of place. It was like we were the cleverest people in the world. Richard, do you have anything to add? Would you rather... (laughs) (laughs) Why are you here? armpit that dispensed sun cream. (laughs) Why are you here? I've written a book about my bollocks. That's why I'm here. Why why are you here? (laughs) You're a Medusa. I've got to keep an eye on time. We've got time. That's good. Uh, I want to ask you... uh, I'll ask you some of the newer newer emergency questions. Um, I kind of want to ask them... I'll maybe do that later. Um, hold on, I've written some new ones down. Oh, I've got a new one, but I'm not going to ask you this, but this is for the next guest. Have you ever been potholing? Because you've been potholing. Yeah, so thank I've been you for potholing. That. Yeah. Murray's been potholing. <laughs> Surely. Yeah. I mean, he's a big unit. Yeah. But you have to be a big pothole. Yeah, he Al will Al Murray be. is, like, so tall. This he is, is big. He's, he is big. He is big. <laughs> let's, not, let's not get on to him. Um, if you could go into a chrysalis and like a caterpillar and come out, but you can choose what you come out of the, caterpillar, yeah. the chrysalis as, what would you emerge from the chrysalis as? Yeah. Beyonce? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. interesting first choice. It was the first thing that... <laughs> I know. Well, that's what's interesting. People come up with stuff very quickly and it's very revealing it's very psychologically. Strange. This is my therapy. <laughs> you come out as Beyonce. Okay, fine. <laughs> that was the first thing. It's just like the worst Rorschach getting blocked of all time. It, I, I didn't even need to think. Yeah, straight away Beyonce. I emerged straight out as Beyonce. What would you? What would be the first thing you did after emerging from the chrysalis as Beyonce? What well, would... let's not get into that. <laughs> we all know. We don't need to dwell on it. If Alfie Bo went into that chrysalis, <laughs> what, do, what do you think he would? What do you think he would come out as? Michael Ball. <laughs> <laughs> Could be true. Um, <laughs> I'm really excited about the idea of someone who just listens to this episode and not John's one. <laughs> the fuck was that? Uh, oh, good. Um, uh, I just love my notes go, uh, Celebrity Lego Masters Wrestling, Pointless Host, World War. Like it's the most normal war. World War. I've got what have I done war? <laughs> Is it true that you have started the... <laughs> I can't... <laughs> That you are planning, using your comedy. That's my, that's my new travel show. <laughs> Nish Kumar and James Acaster head to the Somme. <laughs> uh, the, I was going to... The, uh, is the pointless thing like the news quiz thing that you're also involved in? Are they going to select the best person to become the, the, the host forever? Or is it just a temporary... Is it like the new thing? I don't know. I, like the, I, I genuinely I don't know. Like, I, I truly don't know. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I have to say, Andy Zaltzman was the best choice for the news quiz. Yeah. He would also be a fantastic pointless co-host. He'd be a very good... He, especially if the question was about cricket, that man... <laughs> it's like a just... His brain is full of... Cri- if you whack his head like a piñata, it's like Alan Mullally's bowling average drops out. <laughs> he, he's like... He's, that's a deep cut of a cricket player. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I don't know what they're doing with pointless. Yeah. I, I, but I was thrilled. I, I've said yes to, to very little faster in my career yes. than, I, than I did. Because my, my grandmother loves Pointless as well. So she's, like, really excited that I was on the set. Yeah, it sort of is. You know, it's one of those things I think... Every, it's, a, it's a bit like being on Taskmaster as well. I think most comedians especially would, like, leap. Yeah, I would have thought so. Thing. Gamble's done it. Yeah. Um, Rose Matafeo's done it. Uh... Who else? I think Rhea Lina's done it. Sally Phillips has done it. So they've, they've, they've sort of dipped into the comedian community quite heavily. Um, but, it, yeah, it was really fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed doing it. Yeah, well, you know, thanks for that suggestion. Thanks. 
you do understand that I don't get to select. It isn't like you don't get to pick the next person. You could say, I don't think I deserve to be on this unless... I don't think Richard Hogue should be on it first. I think it's what... Where is your respect? Pointless. This man has been playing snooker against himself for over a decade. And for what? Nothing? He does a talk show with puppets in his attic. We're all worried about him. <laughs> what would you like to have named after you, Nishkumar? Is it, well, is anything named after you yet? Have you had anything named after you in your life? Uh, I believe there are some pets named after me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I believe... I, I think somebody tweeted me and said, we've named our cat Nish. And I don't know... Uh, yeah, I, I, so I, I, and I think there may be a couple of pets named after me, okay. which I, I'm thrilled about. That's nice. Is there anything, is, if you could get to the end of your life, you've done all these wonderful things, what, on, what thing do you think you would like to, if you could choose something that would... <laughs> big Ben. Would t- <laughs> <laughs> big Nish I'd, like, I'd like Big, big Ben to be called Big Nish. It's because, like, it would also annoy so many. <laughs> this is political correctness gone mad! They've named Big... They've probably named Big Ben after Nish. <laughs> <laughs> That's furious! Uh. And instead of bongs, it just goes, Nish. <laughs> <laughs> Every hour, just a crossbow, Nish. <laughs> We'll make it happen. We'll Stuart make that Laws happen. and Al Clayton, uh, who Stuart Laws is a very funny comedian, and Stuart and Al are brilliant filmmakers. They run Tell Canyon, which is a really great film production. I don't. Chris Evans is going to cut this out. <laughs> Me <laughs> promoing Arrival, um, but they uh, they're good friends of mine, and they call me. <laughs> they they actually have a nickname for me because one year we were all out at James Acaster's birthday. And me, Ed and James walked into this uh, cafe, uh, like, walked into this pub, like, and the three of us were at the front. And this lady who was working behind the bar went, oh, my God, I love Mock the Week. And we were like, oh, cool. Surprised. But... <laughs> no, I was like, oh, that's, that's really nice. And she went, you three are my favourites, Ed Gamble, James A. Kester and Big Nick. <laughs> So they still call me Big Nick. <laughs> it, was so, it was such a weird thing to be like, Big Nick! <laughs> That's very good. And uh, the, uh, the, enjoy, the most enjoyable bit of Hold the Front Page, that I have to say, which we did talk a moment with, with Josh, was when, you, uh, when Boris Johnson drove past you in a car. Um, did you expect them to put that in the final show? No. <laughs> no. He, they, they said to us, we were in Blackpool, and, like, we had, like... We were supposed to be looking for stories, and we were trying to find... And there was, like, a day that we were supposed to plan out for... And then, at, like, three o'clock, the, our producer got called, and just he looked very, like, confused and serious. And, I mean... I always naturally assumed they'd cancel the show. Because <laughs> if there's one thing I can do, it's get shows cancelled. So far, I haven't managed to get one cancelled in the middle of filming it. Yeah. But, the, but I did, as, as you mentioned, take down a whole network. So I sort of assumed <laughs> that that's, that's what it was. Sky uh, Maximilian, who runs Sky Max, was just calling and being like, well, this show's fucked. <laughs> but it was because they said Boris Johnson's going to turn up to do a speech at Sixth Form College. And it was the first time he'd been seen in public since he won the confidence vote that he won, but, like, not by enough, like, in that weird way where you're like, he did win this, technically. Yeah. But it wasn't really up. And so we immediately tried to get accreditation and, like, the speed of the response (laughs) from Number 10's press team was, like... Absolutely not. Uh, Nicola, who was the editor, did not comply with my request to print out the email because I wanted to frame... That email. It's like, I was working on a BBC radio show when the David Cameron pig story uh, broke and my producer wouldn't give me, it wouldn't let me print out an email that said, I'm afraid that under BBC regulations we cannot use the term balls deep in swine. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I asked the vet, and they were like, oh, of course not. And so, but then Nicola was like, you know, it basically it happened completely as it happens in the uh, episode. She said, you're journalists, you know, we don't take no for an answer. If you can scare up a story, you scare up a story. So go, go down there and try and get a question. And so we went there, and like the whole way, Josh was like, like I think people probably think it was like played up for the camera. But, like, Josh would be like, Nish, please don't act up when we see <laughs> Boris Johnson. And then the cameras would turn off and Josh would go, seriously, please don't do anything. <laughs> like, in all seriousness, like, th- this is not a joke. Please don't do anything. And I was like, I'm not, in, like, I don't, you know. So then we get out of the car and we're sort of, we realise that we're late. And so we get out of the car and, like, you can see there's sort of this thing going on. And, like, there's a bit... It's fun when you watch the episode. It's fun for me to watch the episode because there's a point where the cameras swing around. You just see our entire camera crew. Like, we, and they were very, like, we shouldn't show the crew. You don't want... You, like, the magic of these shows is you want people to feel immersed in it. But it was actually... It was so difficult that you could just see all of our camera crew because everybody's just running around. They don't know what the fuck is going on. And then someone shouts, that's his car. And then so we start running, like, in retrospect. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I was... Th- like... In retrospect, if I'd have been shot, it probably would have been my own fault. Like, <laughs> but we just start running after the car, and I genuinely, again, like, I just lost my mind. Like, I properly lost my mind. We, I was just screaming. Um, uh, <laughs> and then Josh was like, ask a question. And I was like, how does it feel to think you partied while people died? <laughs> and then we sort of stopped. And then I afterwards... I said, I think I called him a piece of shit. And our sound man was like, are you joking? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, you called him a cunt. <laughs> so many times. <laughs> the, and then he, I was like, I don't think I caught... Like, I still, at the end of the day, I'm still a television professional and I know what can and can't be broadcast. And he was like, listen to this. And it was just... You can't! Like, over and over and over again. You fucking can't! Just over and over again. Just, like, screaming. And because it was in his sound booth, you can see, like, you know, there's that little thing, like, you can see all the sound out, but it's just all red. It's just flashing red. And it's just, you could just hear Josh in the background go, No, this! <laughs> <laughs> and I was sort of like, and I, I, afterwards I said to our producer, I was like, there's absolutely no way that I could go in. And he was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> this is when you realise, like, you're not a real, you don't do a real job. Like, I know that I don't do a real job. But when somebody looks at you seriously and goes, I think we can bleep at least three cunts. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you think, all right, fine. And then when I saw the clip, like, it was so funny because like, Amy was like, this is not like, you're, like, people are like, oh, that's funny that you did that. Amy's like, you're so, you're enraged. Yeah. But it was like, it was this, it was this mad thing where like, the sec- I got so angry, truly angry when I saw him. Yeah. Like, you know, you sort of think about like, you know, like I, I, I've done some stuff with like, um, Mayday Hospital in Croydon, which is trying to, like, they're trying to fundraise to have a children's cancer wing. Like, I've done some, like, fundraising stuff with them. And I went to the hospital uh, after COVID, and I said to the person who's one of the head administrators, you know, I was like, how is everybody? And she was like, everybody, it's like they've been through a war. You know, they're reacting like soldiers. Doctors, on a daily basis, you know, were forced to make decisions over who was going to get the incubation, like who was going to get the ventilator, and they were, cho- you know, that having to make those choices of we let this person die is like permanently scarring. And the thought that at the same time this cunt was fucking toasting people at a part, you that we've seen the fuck like they've spent six months investigating whether we lied to Parliament. I'll save you six months. Yeah. He did. <laughs> because there's a photo of him doing this with his hand in the air. That is not a... It's only a work event if you're Oliver Reed or the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> and so I think, like, when I saw... Like, it, it, I was so... Like, I, I think that there's things that... There's obviously things that I'm angry about because of political beliefs I have. But there are things that, like, provoke moral outrage. 
that it goes beyond partisan politics. And what Johnson did, it sort of, it, it, it should, I think, in any right-thinking person's mind, provoke moral outrage. So what I'm saying is that if you have a fibre <laughs> of decency and you see Boris Johnson, you have an ethical responsibility <laughs> to just go right up to him and go, Cats! <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm, I, I kind of think you might be used to it. I think that's, I think that's possibly the only reason you weren't shot was because of that. We're, we're going to have to wrap up, unfortunately, Nish, because we're over, over time, but it's always fantastic to have you on. One day you'll get up to eight appearances on yeah. this show. It's well, a pleasure it's, to be here, Richard. I oh, know, it's really and great I, to have I don't you. know how to say this without sounding trite, but I'm glad you're not dead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> One day I will be. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Daisy Nish Kumar. Thank you very much. See you then next time. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Nish Kumar. Thank you to Scant Regard for doing this music. I'm indebted to George the Incompetent Sound Guy, who's the only person who came with me to this gig. And thank you to Chris Evans, not that one. And thank you to everyone at the Y Theatre and the Leicester Comedy Festival. It's fantastic. And the king-stealing people of Leicester, thank you for your thievery. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks for listening. RichardHerring.com slash gigs. GoFasterStripe.com for all my books, downloads, all that sort of shizzle. Oh, yeah, I know all the cool words. And um, would love to see you on the, on the Can I Have My Ball Back tour if you can make it. Bye.